Welcome to episode 9 of the Credit Card BS Podcast. My name is Sean. I'm the UC Berkeley graduate that created and taught the university-sponsored course on credit card rewards. I'm here with my co-host, Sherwin. Hi, I'm Sherwin. I'm the Stanford student uh, who's really into credit card points and travel miles. Um, I've made my family open dozens of cars. We've gone on a lot of cool trips. I'm here to share with you um, some of my personal tips that I've learned when playing this game. Um, The reason this podcast is called the Credit Card BS Podcast because B and S reflects the schools Sean and I attend respectively, Stanford and Berkeley. But as usual, we've put aside our differences today to talk about credit card rewards. So today's episode is on ways to meet minimum spend. So Sean, what the heck are we talking about when we say minimum spend? Yeah, so for basically any major credit card, they're going to have an attached sign-up bonus. And so to reach that sign-up bonus, to get some X amount of points, you'll have to do some minimum amount of spending. So typical examples we'll see of that is like $4,000 of spending within the first three months of card membership, and maybe they'll give you 60,000 points or something like that. And so a lot of times people can struggle to reach these minimum spends because maybe they don't organically spend $4,000 every three months, or maybe sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and they've opened a credit card and they want to get that big juicy bonus, but they may not be able to attain that high level of minimum spend. Yeah, I think one classic mistake here is a lot of impulsive people will seize a nice offer and jump on it before they have a plan to meet that minimum spend. And then if you open like a bunch of cards in a short period of time, you may see yourself struggling to meet that spend. So always have that plan ready before you make that application. Think to yourself, am I going to be able to make this spend? Not only just for this card, but if you're multi, multi, uh, opening multiple cards in this in the same period, or if you have a player two who's doing so, you know, make sure you have that plan uh, beforehand. Otherwise, it's a, a huge waste if you don't. A lot of these cards have limitations on how often you can get a bonus. You know, for Amex, often it's once in a lifetime. So if I open the Platinum card and I fail to meet the minimum spend in the first six months, you know, I may never, ever get that bonus again. And these bonuses, if we're talking about the annual fee cards, can be worth thousands of dollars in terms of the value you can get, the high-end travel um, for like flights, for example. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think when you're getting a card, the vast amount of the value you're going to be getting, at least in the first few years, is from the sign-up bonus. Unless you're spending tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on that card, the sign-up bonus is going to be by far the biggest benefit of the card. So if you can't reach it, there's almost no point in getting the card. So yeah, I 100% agree. Always have a plan. Don't just impulsively get it because if you find yourself not reaching the bonus, not only did you not get anything, but now you've actively harmed your credit card strategy because you've added a card to your 524, you've received a hard inquiry, and you cannot get the bonus on that card depending on the issue or whatever, potentially for several years or potentially even your lifetime. So having a plan is like super, super critical. Yeah, and here's another tip um, or another mistake rather. Some people, you know, let's say you need to meet $4,000 in the first three months, you do that, and then you realize you needed to return some item that was part of the spend, and that causes you to fall below the threshold and you're not really paying attention to it or you don't remember and you miss out on the bonus and you suffer the consequences we described, right? So my tip would also be to leave some buffer so you don't accidentally miss that requirement, right? If you need to hit $4,000, don't just hit $4,000. Put a little more on it. Have a little buffer. Um, 
because you know once that timeline passes oftentimes there's nothing you or the bank can do about it um, and you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot um, and miss out on potentially again thousands of dollars of value just because you missed it by a tens or hundreds of dollars definitely yeah i think especially if you have something that you think you might return so like when i was reaching my bonus on the schwa platinum i purchased i reached the bonus very easily and i had a, a big buffer but there was these airline tickets i had these like turkish business class tickets booked with the the fees i booked the ana airfare if you know what that was the ana first class airfare which i thought might have been canceled i booked virgin first class ana again with points on on all that so and I, I had a huge suspicion that a lot of these would have been canceled or I was going to cancel it. And they did end up being canceled, or at least for the ANA ones, those got canceled. I didn't end up flying Turkish. And at least one of my ANA point seats, I ended up canceling and got refunded the fees. So I had, you know, accounted for that. And I did much more spending than I needed to do on my Schwab Platinum because I was not going to risk Amex taking back the bonus. And don't get me wrong here. They will take back the bonus if you don't reach the spending and returns thing. They will find out and they will take it back. So have a big buffer. If you have a like specific thing you think might be returned, you know, make sure you have a buffer specifically, at least for that amount. And you can't like retroactively do it. So let's say you've spent, you know, the $4,000 in three months that you need to. It's month four. You think something might be returned. Don't go and, you know, return that thing with expecting to keep the bonus because you can't just do more spending on the card. Like even if you do spending now, it doesn't work that way. So it's a big risk if, you're going to go go below because you're going to lose so much value. Yep. I think that pretty much covers it. Um, all right. So now let's talk about, you know, different strategies we might employ to meet that spend if, you know, you don't actually have that high of an organic spend when you think about it. Um, I'll begin with a basic one. Think about your normal everyday spend, right? When, when they ask you to spend $4,000, we're not paying $4,000 to get these bonus points. You're spending $4,000 you would spend anyway right, that you would otherwise need to expense. So things like, you know, if you're going out to eat, offer to pay for the whole check and then, you know, do the math and have your friends Venmo. I found that a, a trick I use is, uh, you know, I'm the one that pulls out the calculator and, and does math and that's enough incentive for people to let me deal with it, right? And then I can get all of those points slash to work toward that sign-up bonus. Um, you know, if your friends or family have major expenses, like I think, a you know, common one is like they are remodeling some area of their kitchen or they need to buy a big thing and they're not that into the credit card game offer to put it on your card and just have them pay you back. Do make sure you get paid back because um, it's not worth it. Otherwise, um, if you you know run a business and have business expenses, uh, that can add up pretty quickly. You know, I think restaurants are an example of something that has high cash flow. You know, if you're running online advertising, you know, you could be spending a lot of money, you know, and it's mostly your client's money, not your own, but that can help you rack up these points really quickly, as well as, um, you know, meet these minimum spend requirements. Yeah, this is a strategy I love, especially having like family expenses or friends pay you back. And this is something I've utilized heavily. So like my family, when they go to Hawaii and stuff, I will just buy all the plane tickets on my card. And that is a huge amount of spending. Or even if, you know, I have some friends booking a trip, I'll help them do the research of like, okay, here's the cheapest flight. But, in, you know, maybe in exchange for that, they let me put it on my card, earn some points, mm. contribute to the bonus. And yeah, especially I 100% agree, make sure you do get paid back because that is, you do get a little more risky, especially like at restaurants when people might be like, oh, well, I split that or people are maybe doing different tip amounts. You know, you could get burned there. So 
make sure you're. Um, doing... My thing is just to send all the Venmo requests at the moment. That's that's the smart strategy. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. You don't let them do the math. You do the math. Um, yeah, that's a really really great strategy, uh, especially if, yeah when you because then you're not doing your own spending as well. Like you don't have to artificially increase your spending. You know, you're using other people's spend who don't really care about this game and you're using it to fuel your own sign-up bonuses. I think yeah, another- I would say oh, generally resist the temptation to spend more just so you can get the bonus. Like if you're buying stuff, you wouldn't otherwise buy it. Just to get a bonus, you're probably going to be net negative in terms of how much value you're getting. So, you know, just be careful with that. Definitely. The only exception would be if you were absurdly close to a big bonus. Like if I was, you know, if I had spent 300 or $3,800 out of my $4,000 requirement, I'm good. And I have nothing else to buy, but I get a $600 bonus. I'm going to spend $200 because in that scenario, I come out net positive overall. Yeah. But yes, 99% of the time, don't spend extra just for the bonus. I think another thing we should talk about when reaching on some of these cards is when you get to some of the higher tier cards that require big sign-up bonus spendings, that they may give you low credit lines, but with a high spend requirement. So a very notable example of this is with the Chase Inc. Preferred Business Card. This card has a $15,000 minimum spend requirement in the first three months. That's like one of the highest and most difficult spend requirements out of any major credit card. But when you apply for the card, especially if you don't have an established Chase business relationship, they're very, very likely going to give you only a $5,000 credit line. This makes it very tough because you can't just go out and spend $15,000 in the card, even if you had one big purchase to do. You'll have to spend smaller increments and then put and cycle it, right? So you'll have to find smaller transactions to reach that full $15,000. This is something I'm dealing with right now. I have the Cathay Visa card. Don't, don't ask me why. It's, it's a high bonus. I'm way above 524. Not a smart card. Probably don't get it. Unique to my situation, but the sign-up bonus for it, I get to spend $3,000 in the first three months, but the credit line they gave me, they gave me a toy limit of $1,500. So I, it's like very, very tough for me to reach that bonus now because I could have per- put a big purchase on it, but now I can't because that's too small of a limit. Have you have you encountered something like this before? Yeah. So, I mean, Chase Inc. Preferred definitely encountered it. So you know, what Sean means by cycling is, you know, you spend some amount of money on it. Let's say you spend $5,000 on it, you pay it off. And then you spend another five thousand, and then you pay it off. You spend another five thousand, and then congratulations, you've reached a fifteen thousand dollar limit. Um, I will give a few other tips with Chase. If you request a credit line increase, not only will you get a hard pull, but also there's no guarantee that they'll increase your limit. So that's not the strategy I would recommend. And especially if you know you're new to Chase, they already gave you a low credit limit. They're probably not going to give you more, right? Instead, I'd recommend one of two strategies. The first one is to cycle, like I talked, like I talked about. And the second one is to consolidate your credit lines to the new card. So if, for example, if I already had Chase Inc. Unlimited and Chase Inc. Cash cards and some credit limit on that, I can call Chase, can move some of that credit limit over to the new Inc. Preferred card. So I have a little more room to meet that minimum spend. And there's no effect to your credit they don't do a hard pull for those types of reallocations generally for chase you can move business credit around with your business accounts personal around with your personal but not across the two it just depends on the issuer i think amex has a similar feature too but if you have their charge cards you um you know there there's no set limit so it may be less of an issue yeah like on amex you can't you could never like take some of your platinum line and move it over to like a Hilton Aspire because they're separate types of products. 
but yeah, with Chase, you can move between your personal fine and yeah, you can't intermix with your business. I think an important thing as well, when people, as you said, like are new to Chase and they're like, oh, I got too small of a credit line and they like apply for a card, they're approved, but they get a bad limit. And now they want to go apply for a credit line increase. There's a reason Chase didn't give you that higher credit limit to begin with. So if you've had the card for one week and you apply for a credit line increase, Chase is just going to say no. And now you've gained nothing. Even if you think they're going to say yes, for, for issuers like Chase, it almost always doesn't make sense to do it. Because think about it. If I apply for a credit line increase with Chase, I get a hard pull. Okay. And I have some more credit line. Great. Best case. But if I apply for a new card, I have a hard pull. If it's a personal card, it shows in my report. If it's a business, it doesn't even show my report. Now I have more credit if I was approved and I have the benefits of that card and I have a sign-up bonus. It's so much smarter to just get a new card and then use the credit line from that card if you need, you know, to funnel wherever else Yeah. versus just applying for the credit line directly. And the only exception maybe would be like issuers like Amex because Amex doesn't do a hard pull. Uh, so if you need a, a you know, city does not do a hard pull, so you can do credit line increase every six months city directly online no hard pull. but yeah i mean i never request credit line increases with issuers that do hard pulls because i can just get a new card yeah there's no point okay i think we should move on to the next thing so gift cards sean yes so this is where we start getting into the more i wouldn't this is where we get into light manufactured spending so the idea is okay let's say i know i spend 500 dollars a month on amazon and let's say I do that pretty stably. Maybe I have some recurring purchase or whatever. And I have this big sign-up bonus, but I don't want to go buy, you know, $4,000 of items on Amazon right now. But I know, you know, over the next year or so, I will spend that amount for sure. So what I may decide to do is, okay, I go to my local grocery store or on Amazon directly or whatever, and I buy a $4,000 Amazon gift card. And so if I do that, then I, you know, have reached my bonus instantly and I'm haven't necessarily spent any more than I was going to because I'm, you know, in this case, I was going to spend that money anyways over the next several months at Amazon. But you do have to be careful with this. You have to be very careful for, uh, you know, a couple reasons. One, most arguably most importantly, is that some issuers will get very mad at you doing this, notably American Express and US Bank, especially Amex. If they catch you doing it and they see you buying these huge amounts of gift card purchases, they may either choose to Claw the points back, claw your sign-up bonus back, saying this didn't count to the bonus because you're buying a cash equivalent, or worse, shut you down. And they've been known to do that. So you have to be very careful. Yeah, I mean, don't take my word for it. But also, I mean, I know Amex is sensitive. US Bank is very sensitive. I've seen data points, people getting the Altitude Reserve, which has the 3X multiplier on mobile wallet. And then first thing they do, they go to a store, they buy gift cards using your mobile wallet. Boom, account gets shut down, right? And, you know, that, that sucks for a lot of reasons. Um, also, pay attention to your spending habits. Uh, it may be difficult to liquidate these gift cards, right? So if I bought $6,000 of Amazon gift cards, but I only spend $200 at Amazon each month, how long is it going to take to use all of them, right? So like, be reasonable about it. Uh, don't go overboard. Also, there are generally two types of gift cards we're talking about. One is like store gift cards. So like Amazon, Chipotle, Target, whatever. Right. And those you can usually buy at face value, if not better, if they're discounts. There are also um, things like Visa or MasterCard debit gift cards. Those supposedly can be used at like anywhere a credit or debit card is accepted. 
those you have to be a little more careful with because sometimes the stores will charge you a fee to purchase. So for like a hundred dollars gift card might cost you $106.95 or something like that. And you know, that may negate some of the value of the bonus you're getting, right? So think about that. Also, those cards can be difficult to liquidate. You know, sometimes certain payment processors won't accept them and it becomes a headache. So before you buy a ton of them, start small and you know experiment. Otherwise, you know, you may have hundreds of dollars of gift cards that you can't use. So be very careful. Another app I would recommend, it's called Fluz, F-L-U-Z, where you can buy basically gift cards on this app with any credit card. And there will often be a cashback amount that you can collect. The, the catch is that you have to collect up to $26 of cashback before you can cash it out. But when you sign up for a new account, referral link in the description and use referral link, um, they'll give you these vouchers that are like 30% off or some pretty big number. Uh, it, I mean, you're capped at a small dollar amount, um, but it could be good savings. And those stack on top of credit card rewards. So if you buy a credit card, or if you buy like a Chipotle gift card or Uber East gift card, which also can be used for Uber, Flues will coat that as dining or as grocery or whatever the appropriate category is so you can earn bonus points on your credit card. So those are some strategies you should check out. Highly recommend Flues. Put the link in the description. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually haven't heard of that app before. I'll definitely check that out. I think on a similar note, a really cool strategy, and this is one that carries lower risk than buying gift cards, and it also doesn't have the same risk of you know changing your spending habits, would be to be prepaying any kind of bills. So like if you have a monthly phone bill that's a constant amount, sometimes you can submit a bigger payment in advance or you know, same thing with utility bills. That way you're not really changing your spending habits because you 100% had to spend that money either way. And you're also reaching that minimum spend. Now, this only scales up so well because, you know, there's only so many bills you can prepay. And if you're getting a bunch of cards and constantly need to have that high spending, then, you know, you're going to run out of things to prepay. But I think it's a really, really nice strategy that carries, you know, basically no risk because it's a legitimate purchase. You're not buying any gift cards or anything like that. And it's not at all really risking your spending habits changing, you know, because it's it's a bill you had to pay anyways. Uh, Yeah. One thing my family has enjoyed using is the PG&E pre, like prepaying our utility bills because by California statute, they're not allowed to charge a percentage for a credit card. Instead, they charge a flat fee of like a dollar and 65 cents or whatever. And, you know, we would just pay a thousand dollars at a time and that would cover us for a couple months um, or $2,000 at a time or so and so forth. So look for opportunities where they charge you a flat fee rather than a percentage fee because those can scale up much more. I'm adding that to my knowledge bank there. I, I may use that that trick in the future. Mm-hmm. That That's a good one. That's a very good one. I think so the next thing we should talk about then is paying your taxes with credit cards. And so this is a, a potentially really, really good one because a lot of people have, you know, pretty high tax bills. You could, we can talk, you know, $10,000 plus bills that you can put on a credit card. Now, the first kind of issue that we run into this is there is a processing fee. So when we start to get things like certain prepaying your bills or on paying taxes, a lot of times the companies will have these processing charges added along to them because, you know, the credit card company is taking a percentage fee to pay your rewards. So these companies are going, hold on, like we got to add a processing fee, you know, to, to cover that because we we're paying that effectively. And so the thing is though, okay, when you're doing it to reach a signup bonus, it almost always makes sense to pay the fee because even if it's a 3% fee, which is a, a pretty standard aggressive fee, 
it still makes sense, right? If I have a $600 bonus from, you know, the Sapphire Preferred and I have to spend $4,000, I don't, I don't know on the top of my head. I'm not sure. Is it $120, $120 fee? I think if it's 3% of 4,000. Yeah. But actually you would not need to spend $4,000. You would spend the amount it takes such that when you add the fee, you get to $4,000. So it's actually a little less. True. True. It is. It's slightly less. And, you know, but even then, like, even if I, after I pay, you know, even if it was 120, that's still significantly lower than the minimum of $600 I'm spending. Yeah, I get from that sign-up bonus. And I'm picking the lowest possible evaluation for those points. They're worth significantly more. But so when you're reaching a sign-up bonus, it almost always makes sense to pay the fee. Now, there's different payment processes we'll talk about in a second. But if you're doing it for general spend, usually it doesn't make sense because... If you were, you know, if you could do that, that would just be kind of an infinite money glitch. But usually it doesn't make sense for general spend. But for sign up bonuses, very, very easy. Yeah, I think Sean brings up a good point. Don't be scared of the fee. You know, oftentimes the the amount you get for the bonus is way higher. So this is why I kind of like the federal income tax payment processors, because their fees are pretty reasonable compared to alternatives. There's three processors. And by the way, if the information on this has changed, you need to check the IRS website. So this is just based on what I know right now. Um, one is 1.85%. The other one's 1.87%. One is 1.98%. Okay. So here's the thing. You're allowed two payments, two credit card payments per payment type per processor. Okay. What does this mean? Okay. Let's say it is around April and it's tax time. I need to file my 1040. Okay. And I need to make... I owe IRS money. I need to make a payment. Great. So you for that one filing, remember I said there are three processors. So you can do two transactions on the first processor, two transactions on the second processor, two transactions on the third process. So you can basically make six transactions for that. Okay. But it doesn't end there. If you want to make more payments throughout the year, you can pay quarterly estimated taxes. Now, you know, I'm not a tax professional, so you can consult your tax professional, but the IRS lets you make quarterly estimated tax, uh, make quarterly estimated tax payments because for many more like self-employed people, you need to be paying taxes throughout the year rather than just a lump sum at the end of the year if you're not getting it withheld from your paycheck. Otherwise, you will face an underpayment penalty. Okay, uh, you can do more details and research online, but that's the general idea, right? So for quarter two, quarter three, quarter four, and quarter one before the tax year, Every three months, you can make another six payments because three processors, two payments per each, right? So now we're already, so four quarters times three, uh, three processors times two payments per processor. We're already at 24 payments you can do. And then you can add another six for your 1040. Now there's another trick is to file an extension. So if you make a, an extension payment, uh, you even if you don't need the extension, you just make the payment and you add that amount to your tax software. Okay. And then that amount just gets deducted, I guess, for the final amount that gets re refunded to you. So then you have another six payments before the 1040. Uh, there are more details on this online, but generally look into quarterly estimated taxes, extension payments, and 1040 payments. And remember, if you make any quarterly estimated payments or extension payments, make sure you record those amounts in your tax software so that it's properly accounted for come tax time um, when the IRS needs to calculate how much money is funded to you. One more other thing 
if you overpay your taxes, generally the IRS will refund you. Now they may be slow about it. So make sure you have cash to flow, float it. And you're not like owing money to your credit card because you pay too much, but yeah. something to keep in mind. Be, yeah. Be careful, especially on that. Like, again, we're not tax professionals. We don't claim to have any official tax knowledge. This is just the knowledge that we have on, on these credit card processors. But yeah, especially, yeah, there have been people that do like overpay it. I cannot, I, I'm not personally endorsing that. We're not endorsing that necessarily at all. Um, it's just something that some people have done and you can read about it online. Um, but yeah, insurance in is correct that uh, they will pay you back because, you know, it's your money still, but they may take a long, long, long time. And so don't expect, it's not like a easy manufactured spending infinite points glitch or anything like that. But uh, Yo, just yeah. Don't mess with the IRS. That's, that's my yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Don't mess with the IRS. I do, I think there's better ways to manufactured spend than to screw around overpaying the IRS. Um, but the good thing is there are, as, as Sherwin just discussed, there's very, you know, there's a lot of legitimate ways to pay your taxes with all these payment processors. And you can make quite a few payments, you know, especially if you have a big tax bill. Uh, so the, yeah, there's a lot of good legitimate ways to do it. You don't have to go into the whole manufactured spending here on this. Um, I think it's, it's a really, really good way to reach your bonuses because it's an expense you have already. The fee is very low. There's, you know, ba there's no risk because it's a legitimate purchase. Yeah. The, the government has these official payment processors. Uh, I think it's an awesome, awesome method. Yes. And these are official. These are not, these like are payment processors endorsed by the IRS. These are not random sketchy ones. Okay. Exactly. It's not sketchy ones, like a Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Bitcoin transaction. <laughs> Uh, just quick other points about taxes I want to run through very fast. Uh, this may be a way you can liquidate some of your prepaid debit gift cards. Remember, there's a 2% fee, but see if that makes sense for you. Um, there was a known issue of some business visa cards not going through once the payment processor's solution is to just run it through the PayPal option. Okay. And then finally, there are also other taxes you can look into like state income taxes, property taxes. A lot of counties will let accept credit cards. Again, probably with a higher fee, but do the math. It probably makes sense for you if it's a big bonus. So I think that pretty much covers tax portion. Yeah, I think that, again, really, really great method. So the next method, this may be one of the most famous methods to reaching minimum spend is plastic. So plastic is a service that allows you to essentially convert credit card payments into a check. So let's say you have something that's, you know, a merchant that's not willing to accept credit card and, you know, but they only accept check. So what you can do is you can go on plastic, you can enter the merchant details in, you can enter their address in, and you they will charge your credit card for any amount that you want to put, and they will send the merchant a check on your behalf. And so it's a really good way to, to reach spending on things like rent or tuition, where they oftentimes just straight up don't accept credit card. And so there is a, a fee with this, it's a 2.9% fee about, which is definitely on the higher side compared to like paying your taxes. But the, the real superpower here is just the huge variety of things that you can pay off with this, right? Again, like I said, rent and tuition, which are huge, huge expenses. Uh, I think I've used it to pay like insurance before and it was like AAA insurance and we mailed them a check and it, and it worked, no issues. And, and it's, a, it's a really powerful way to just reach a variety of, of different types of spending. Now, there are some restrictions on it as well, I think, that we have to talk about. One is... It, I think just Amex doesn't work on it anymore at all. Is that correct? Like Amex used to be yeah, heavily restricted. Yeah, they got restricted. rid of it, unfortunately. So Visa, Discover, or MasterCard only. So if you want to meet Minnesota on Amex with plastic, you're out of luck for now. 
That that's such a shame. Yeah, I I I would have been careful with it anyways because I know Amex kind of doesn't like those things. But yeah, yeah, I, I and it, I'm at least happy that Amex has taken a very clear stance on it. Like it's at least there's no like oh you can use it, but there's a shutdown risk. It's like okay, you just yeah. can't use it. Also, I mean, since credit cards are technically a form of debt, um, you cannot pay debt with debt, right? So don't even think about trying to use one credit card to pay another credit card or some kind of loan. I mean, uh, mortgage payments and student loans will work on MasterCard and Discover, but not Visa. Uh, But generally, the ones people find most useful are like rent, HOA fees, tuition is a big, (laughs) big one for me personally. Um, generally any goods or services, right? So this is not for you sending money to your friends um, like Venmo, right? This is for goods and services. Theoretically, it would be you know, things that would be like taxable, things you could make a purchase with, with the credit card. Um, but it's pretty open. You can enter any merchant as long as you have some kind of receipt and it's it, within one of their permissible categories. They will just mail a check to them. And it does take quite a while, maybe seven to 10 days for that check to be sent. So you've got to plan early. Once again, if you have deadlines and try to send it in early, just in case stuff gets delayed. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah. I th- yeah. Go oh, so I was going to say, I think it's a very good point you also brought up about that it's like a taxable payment. So before people start getting any ideas of, oh, you know, having your buddy set up a merchant account on plastic and, you know, you sending up a bunch of money for services and just paying the fee. Uh, there's a decent chance like plastic sends, you know, the is going to send the IRS that information of your friend. Your friend's going to probably have to owe a big tax bill. And it's you might have a tough time convincing the IRS, no, 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 this wasn't a profit-making endeavor. We were doing this to get yeah. manufacturers money. Like, I don't know if they're going to buy that. So don't don't even try it. it. There's better methods than that. But yeah, for, for legitimate goods and services only. Yeah, and I think they want you to upload an invoice sometimes too. So they do. I sure remember that. that. I had to yeah. upload a, a invoice for the AAA. But very good. I, it was for optional, like, but yeah, very for good for like rent or tu- I mean, tuition has been huge for me because my school doesn't take credit cards directly. But so I, I kind of do have to eat up a two point nine percent fee on this one. But we're able to hit huge sign up bonuses because of how expensive it is. So yeah, yeah, and and also to clarify, you can do multiple payments right with plastic. So like. So you go to Stanford. So let's say you were to, you know, pay Stanford with a, a a check from plastic. Could you do multiple small payments? Like let's say I opened, you know, me and my player two both opened a business platinum and it has the 15k spending requirement. Could we do two business platinum, you know, checks from plastic? I mean, okay, in this case, that's a bad example because they don't take Amex. Uh, let's change that to the ink preferred. Okay, we open two ink preferreds. Yeah, I, I mean, this is more of an issue with your vendor rather than plastic itself. But yes, that has worked for me. Sometimes there are quarters where I send like five different checks because <laughs> I not only sometimes because I have multiple sign up bonuses I'm meeting, but also because I have to cycle the credit. So, um, you know, as we talked about before, so there can be a multiple check situation, but definitely check with your vendor ahead of time. You know, if your landlord does not like receiving eight checks a month, yeah, you might need to adjust your strategy. <laughs> okay, I guess we should talk about the next one, which is PayPal bill pay. This is more obscure, and I'm not sure if it works for most things. So you look at, but basically most bank portals have like a bill pay section where you can find like a merchant or a vendor and then send a payment. So PayPal is something similar like that. It's kind of like a big portal, but they do take credit cards without any fee. So, you know, if... Now, if you have a, a vendor that takes it, um, you know, you could try it out. Uh, I haven't had too much success with it either because they didn't actually send the payment sometimes or like my vendor didn't receive it. 
when they have to go through this process, it can be a little annoying, but considering the fact that it's no fee, if you can get it to work, that's pretty huge. Yeah, that sounds like a, a pretty powerful strategy. Uh, the, the next one is funding bank accounts. So this is, I, it's kind of like a weird one. It's both high risk and low risk simultaneously. Uh, and so what this is, when you open a new bank account, like a checking account, savings account, a lot of times banks as an initial funding deposit, usually for the only the, like the first opening deposit, they will let you fund it with a credit card. So you can enter your credit card details in and they'll maybe let you fund it up to $500, $1,000, depends on the bank. And so this is really good because there's no risk in the sense that you're not going to lose your money. The money you put into that bank account is your money still. You didn't buy anything sketchy with it. You didn't buy Visa gift cards that you can't liquidate. It's in a bank account. So there's no risk in that sense. Uh, the, the other part, though, the high risk part is that when you're doing this, you have to be careful because it can code as a cash advance on your credit card bill. And so if Chase sees it as a cash advance, then they're going to hit you with immediate interest and a bunch of fees, and now you're paying for it. The other thing is I, I haven't advances seen- as if you took money out of the ATM with that credit card. Never do that. Huge interest, huge fees. It's not a purchase. You don't even earn points on it. It won't count toward a sign-up bonus if it's a cash advance. So do not do that. One strategy I've used is some, some issuers let you lower your cash advance limit to $0 just to prevent that from happening. Uh, but look for data points online about not only the bank account, but also the credit card issuer. That's a very good attempt. point. Yeah. Yeah. I would lower your credit or your cash advance limit to zero. That's what I've done on like my discover cards and stuff, because you know, there's no reason really to ever take a cash advance. It, as you said, they don't earn points. They don't qualify for the sign up bonus. It's a very bad idea uh, it, it, for the reason why it's considered very risky on the bank's end, right? Cause when you're purchasing like from a merchant, they know what it is. They can potentially, you know, reverse the transaction. When you take money out of an ATM, they don't know like, you know, what the hell you're doing with that, that you could be doing some very sketchy things with the cash. So yeah, uh, make sure it's not a cash advance check the data points. The other thing is I haven't seen too many data points on this, but it, it could potentially be seen as riskier, you know, from, or sorry, more of like a manufacturer spending higher shutdown risk from like the bank's end, because, you know, you're, you're very obviously buying a cash equivalent. And so if someone goes in there and, and they, they want to start shutting people down, that's a very easy place to start. So be careful on that. Make sure to check data points. Like I wouldn't do it with something like Amex personally. It seems uh, like you're playing with fire. I, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, we're not endorsing any particular one of these strategies. We're just sharing kind of a couple things that have worked for some people. So you need to assess your own risk level and make your own decisions about what's best for you. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's always different people have different risk tolerances. So like, yeah, we're not endorsing, officially endorsing anything, any of the methods here. Um, I think another interesting method, and this is, this is a high risk, high reward method potentially, is reselling merchandise. So when there's, you know, a huge drop of like, you know, when the back when like the PS5 came out or the Xbox One X or whatever, and, you know, people were buying thousands and thousands of dollars of these to resell at a profit. Now, I'm not talking about the moral implications of doing this, of what, you know, whether it's a good idea or not. I'm just saying from a practical financial perspective, you know, people were spending tens of thousands of dollars and they were, you know, for the people that were paying on credit cards, they were earning the points on that. They were able to reach bonuses. And but not only that. They weren't just breaking even, they were making a profit on these on these items. So they were able to buy these, get credit card points, reach minimum spend, resell them, gain a profit. It, it's a huge win for them. Now, of course, it is high risk. In the, it's high risk only in the sense that you now have to liquidate the merchandise. It's not high risk from like getting shut down or the call back the points because they're legitimate purchases from the bank's end. But 
you now have to liquidate this merchandise, which could potentially be very problematic. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally not savvy enough to try this myself. I know some people have made it work, but you just don't want to be that guy who bought like 20,000 fidget spinners from China and then that <laughs> no longer was popular. And then they're just stuck with all this merch and you have to pay the credit card bill and it sucks. So again, do your research. <laughs> Make sure... You know, I think generally my general advice for all of these methods is start small, try it out. If your toes in water, if it works, then go for higher volume. But otherwise, you just don't want to be stuck in a situation where you have a lot of stuff that you can't liquidate. And then, and then you know, the worst thing that can happen is, you know, you go into credit card debt, which is not what this podcast is about. You know, we want to use the point, make the points work for us, get value from the banks, not the other way around. Definitely. 100% agree on that. And I think this is the whole like field as well of manufactured spending. So if you've heard about manufacturing, I mean, we kind of, you know, a lot of the methods we've talked about are some form of manufactured spending, but the idea is, you know, I'm going to go spend on my credit card artificially, artificially inflate my spend, but buy an item that I have the easy ability to liquidate back into cash, into my bank account, even if it's at a net break even, I don't even need to make profit here and then use that to pay off the credit card. And when you do that, You've now earned these free credit card points, these free rewards, the site, you know, been able to achieve the sign up bonus or whatever. And, you know, there are people that do this and there are people that probably spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars on manufactured spending. And it's such a situational thing. There are people that have done that and can get away with that and have earned, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of rewards from it. But then there are also people that go out and spend 5k their first time, buy an item that they can't liquidate, get shut down from the bank. And, you know, now they're in debt. So it's a high risk, a very, very high risk area with, you know, uh, a lot of area, like a lot of specifics of it changing constantly. A lot of the methods of it changing constantly. If you Google manufactured spending methods online, you're not going to find any really good ones because the people that know the really good ones are not going to share them with you. And they're not being selfish in that. If they share the really good manufactured spending methods with you, ways to immediately convert your credit card spending like back into cash. They are being selfish if they do that because once too many people know about it, the thing dies. It goes away. So it's either they know about it or no one knows about it. So like it, you'll have to like do a lot of research, a lot of digging. It's not something people are going to share freely. Again, not because they're selfish, just because if they share it freely, it dies. It's worse for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really comment too much on that because I personally don't really do manufactured spend. You know, I'm only, the, you know, the methods I really talk about, like paying taxes, plastic for tuition. Prepaying, prepaying utility bills are pretty like legitimate actual expenses. So, uh, you know, I don't really have experience doing a bunch of like gift cards or other shady things. Like, I think there's some at some point, some people were buying like silver coins and then trying to deposit. You know, <laughs> there, it, there's as Sean said, there's information out there, but it's also kind of limited. So a lot of it is like you have to experiment with it yourself. To be clear, I cannot comment or endorse any of these methods. So do what's best for you. Definitely. And I, I also want to clarify, I do not manufacture spend myself. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even really know that many good methods to manufacture spend anyways, but I don't do it myself. I think at least in my current state, uh, it's just better for me to be farming sign-up bonuses because those are legitimate methods and I'm getting significant, significant value from that. Uh, so yeah, I don't endorse any I am not endorsing or saying you should go do any manufactured spending or any of these methods in particular. We're just sharing the information that we are aware of. Yeah. 
Okay, and I think that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please give this video a like and please subscribe to our channel. We are growing very rapidly and need your support in order to continue making quality content. Definitely. And also, if you want to help support the channel and you plan to apply for any credit cards and want to earn an awesome bonus, then please consider using any of the affiliate links in the description. You have no idea how much it helps us out. We really, really appreciate it. And we will see you in the next episode. Oh, don't forget, we have a Discord channel. We do have Please a Discord join channel. <laughs> join that. Link in the description. All right. Bye.